Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. I am your host, Daniel Gundlach, and I am thrilled to share with you the opera and classical singers about whom I am most passionate. I hope that when you hear these voices, you might echo me in saying, God, I love her, or God, I love him. Now, Without any further ado, I bring you this week's episode. I think some of my most important work, I think it is the most important work that I do, is working with young singers, preparing them for the ins and outs of this illustrious but very difficult profession. Those were the wise and generous words of my guest, Janet Williams, whom I am presenting to you today in the last segment of our three-part interview. We cover a lot of territory in this interview, and I think it would be best to just jump right in with, well, a little bit of gossip, shall we say. So how did we get back in touch? Let me think, let me think. I had started my singing career then. We must have reconnected in the period when I did a world premiere at the Bastille that was then being done in Montpellier as well. And I had like three months off in between and I didn't go back. I came to stay with my friend Roberta Cunningham here in Berlin. And we must have reestablished contact at that point. Was it in Paris? Oh, no, wait a minute. Well, there was, that was... With Susan Graham. Yes, that's right. Susan, you were singing in Gassmann's L'Opera Seria. I had just appeared in the Perella at the Bastille. Susan was singing, and she was in Marilla with us that year as well. She was just doing Dido with Emmanuel Aim at the Théâtre des Champs-Élysées. The same theater where we were doing Gassmann. And so I waited backstage to see her, and I think she said, oh, I'm going to dinner with Janet tonight. Yeah. Yeah. She's here in Paris. I, let's let's I all go to dinner. And I remember that she told them at the restaurant that it was your birthday, and it, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> and they brought you this cupcake or this something. This cupcake, yeah. like a, yes, exactly. And we all had to sing happy birthday. You had to pretend it was your birthday. I mean, you two were always, you know, doing uh, sort of practical jokes. She's a naughty one. She's a naughty one. Maybe it was through Susie then. I'm trying to remember. That was 2003. Yeah, that must have been how we got back in touch because I remember, I'd have to try and reconstruct the chronology exactly, but but we did. And then we've been in touch ever Ever since. since.
So I reconstructed the chronology and Janet was actually entirely correct. It was through Susan Graham in the winter of 2003 that we reconnected in Paris. And then shortly thereafter, we saw each other again in Berlin. And from then on, as she said, we have been close and fast friends. And it was through you that I met Mary Mills. I had not met Mary before oh, really? that. No. I thought you and knew she Mary. was no, she was pregnant with Jack when I first okay. met her. We had a little at cafe und Kuchen at your place. Yeah, yeah, Mary. It was me and, and David was visiting me here, so it was me and David and you and Mary had this yeah. little coffee uh, and talk about there. another singer who was just so fabulous. Oh my god, divine. And we became fast friends that very day. Yes. Yeah. It really is a small world. It is. So you became fast at the Staatsoper, yes, yeah? Yes, they offered me a two-year contract, which I didn't want. I had that love affair in Berlin, and it ended badly. Okay, I had bad vibes about Berlin. I did not okay. want to stay here. I just wanted yes. to do that production and go. Well, then my um, agent convinced me that it was a good thing to stay, and he was absolutely right. So I signed the contract. And then I met Freddie. Well, I'm hers. I'm hers. She's mine. She's mine. I'm hers. She's mine. Winning bills are gonna shine. When you started rehearsals for the Cleopatra Cesare, you had already agreed well, to do the... my contract was already signed. It was already... Yes. The two-year contract the two -year was already... contract. You didn't just come in to do the one production. No. And exactly. then you met Fred. Exactly. And during those two years, it was wonderful because Cleopatra was a big success, so I got a lot of coverage, a lot And of there are YouTube clips, and I just watched it again this morning. <laughs> ago and thinking my god not only do i know her but she's my dear friend and she is splendiferous it is really an extraordinary performance <laughs>
this just gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about your actual voice. It was a really special thing. And you said that often people were confused because there was a real heft to your middle voice and yes, people always yes. wanted to shove you into repertoire that was perhaps a, a couple sizes too big mm -hmm, because they mm -hmm, heard that mm -hmm. sound. Well, do you remember Andrew Meltzer? Yes, of course. Uh, conductor at yes. the San Francisco Opera. And Kurt Adler was still alive. Yes, the, well, it was and, that year. That was yes. the year. Because we did the two parts of the Tritico and they also and wanted to we do... we had to a, learn the third one. They wanted to do just a, a, just a sing-through of Tabarro with those two. And Kurt Adler insisted that I sing That you George, sing Giorgetta, which is a Claudio Muzio premiere this role. It is a, it's a major big, verissimo massive, part. It's a dramatic role. soprano role. Exactly. <laughs> had that it was either either or Camilla wanted me to learn butterfly she said you would be a perfect butterfly I knew I couldn't sing butterfly now I just I, something in me said no I'm not a butterfly so I'm just going to jump in and say a little something about Madama butterfly it's true that butterfly can be a real voice wrecker Mafalda Favero said that taking on that role took years and years off of her career of course, if one listens to her kamikaze recordings, one can hear exactly how she ripped her voice to shreds. It's fascinating, it's compelling, it's exciting, but it's really vocal suicide, what she does. Now, there were other very compelling, yet smaller-voiced singers, such as Bidou Sayao and Iliana Kotrubash, who wanted dearly to sing the role of Butterfly, in the same way that Leonie Riesenek, Christa Ludwig, or Lotte Lehmann longed to sing the role of Isolde, and yet 
decided that it was not worth the toll that it would take on their voices. I can really understand why Janet felt that way about the role of Butterfly. But I can also kind of understand why Camilla, who was not an enormous voiced singer, felt that Janet would have been appropriate for the role of Butterfly. When I sang the Donna Anna, after that, Virginia Zayani came up to me. She says, you must learn Traviata now, and you must learn Butterfly, and you must... She went on the whole line of all of Michaela and Mimi and all this stuff. Well, but I would just like to say that this morning, in preparation for our interview, I found a clip of you doing the Germain Violetta yeah. duet. Yeah. <laughs> I think you never sang the entire role of Violetta. Yes, I did. You did? Yes, I did. Ah, so. You didn't know at uh, San Francisco Opera, the Adler Fellows did a version of Traviata that went into the schools. And we ah, sang. So. Yes, we sang everything but the chorus stuff. <laughs> so ah, so. I've done the. I, I, not the most congenial it. way to do Violetta, no, perhaps, not, but, but, it, uh, but it probably worked, in, the, er, in the early morning hours, yeah, right? Before yeah. lunch, exactly. I'm sure, right? Exactly. But no, I, I learned ah, the entire so. thing. that you heard that was yes. just excerpt from a concert that we did somewhere I can't even remember where it was but Back it to my same... but to me yeah. Janet your voice in that part mwah, you hit all the right emotional notes too which of course is so crucial yeah. in that part
Verdi, did you do Oscar as well? I did no? Oscar. And you did Nanetta and you did Violetta, Violetta. And those would have been the it. three, really. That was it. Anyway, but you were starting to say something else about... Uh, Remember when I talked about my love and passion for opera came once I started singing these the bigger yes. rep because that had everything in it. It had life and drama and all that. When I was offered this opportunity to sing, well, I sang Gilda, that was the other bit. Oh, Gilda, ah, yes, When I of was course. able to sing the, or offer the Traviata, it brought back all those feelings, mm. all of that emotion that, you know, you can't do the same thing in Handel that you do in Verdi. <laughs> drama in Cleopatra, for instance. There's a lot of pathos, but it's somehow different. Did you ever do the Handel Cleopatra? Um, or no? I did just, just some parts, excerpts right? for concerts mm-hmm. and things. Mm-hmm. I did all the arias for either a recital or a concert. But you duets. were quite known for your Handel, in fact. Yes. Semele, yes. right? Justino, 
uh, mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Actually, that was the first. That's right. You worked with Nick McGee, right? Did. In that. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And that was the first thing I sang after I came back from working with Chris Ben. Ah, so okay. So this was very pivotal because Chris Ben sent me to her teacher to find what she called the extension in my voice. My voice kind of stopped at C sharp, and I needed a D and for your D voice flat type, yeah. Yes. And Denise Duplex, do you know this name? Oh, yes, I have heard that name. She was the one who taught me how to find that lightness in order to flip into that mm-hmm. other register. It's yes. not a whistle register, but it was different. It just yes. felt different. When I came back, everybody noticed the difference. Wow. Everybody. Everybody spoke about it. In fact, one of my, at the time, she was my rival, Anne Panagoulias. Yes. Remember Anne? I yes. love Anne yes. now yes, to me this too. day. And Anne, she was a larger voice soprano, and she heard me, and she was singing the other soprano role, and it was like a man role, a, a hosen role. Yes, yes, pants role. Yeah. Pants role. A man role. <laughs> a man role. <laughs> and she, and, and Patricia Rossett was also yes, in that yes. opera, and myself. When, and Patty Spence was in it too, And Patty right? Spence. And when Anne heard me, she was like, who did you work with? I want to go to her. But I just said, oh, I was with Chris Ban's teacher in Paris. Hi, it's me jumping in again. I just want to play a little something for you of Anne Panagoulias because she was a wonderful singer and a good friend to both me and Janet. And uh, here she is singing a little bit of Mozart's Vorrei Spiegarvi Dio." And you hear what a marvelous singer she was, and uh, her spirit really comes through in this. Give it a listen. is what, for me, put everything together. Everything God. just came together after yeah. that, that yeah. time. And I remember Chris Ban sitting in one lesson, and I was singing Handel, and she looked up, and she just said, Well, my dear, you have it. You just have it. Oh, my God. And I, I thought I had died and gone. <laughs> for Regine Chris Ban to she say that, it must have well, been. Well, my dear, you have it. to speak of another important mentor who helped you later in your career and that's David Jones. Could you say a couple oh, things David. about David? Oh David, oh yeah. Because I was singing in this fach that the tessitura was a bit too high mm-hmm. I ended up doing a Constanza and Blanche and I had done as well. Oh. 
Well, clearly, you had, but you had figured out the top. Did you do the high ease in the blonde? I did. Hit? Yeah, I did. But for some reason, things started to feel tight mm. in my throat. Now, this is a phenomenon that every light lyric soprano that I know has told me they have felt, and it's a moment when your voice wants to fill out. This is my theory. The voice wants to go to another depth, but you are so used to, or I was so used to hearing my voice in a certain way and feeling it in a certain way mm -hmm. that I wouldn't allow that because I felt if I did allow it, I wouldn't have my extension anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay? What I was feeling was my larynx was too high. these moments singing Sophie that used to be so easy and suddenly there would be like this glitch in my vibrato it would be uh, a little glitch that's mm -hmm, all the only way mm -hmm, I can describe mm -hmm. it as if I were and no one else would probably have even heard it gears. right I don't know I think people don't tell you all the time when they're, yeah, when they're hearing yeah. things they might But in any case, it was also after I had taken lots of hormones because I was trying to get pregnant. And my doctor at the time told me, oh, your voice will go right back to how it's always been. The hormones will have no impact. That's just not true. In my case, I noticed a thickness and a heaviness. Anyway, all of that to say, I started looking for answers because I went to so many different people looking for answers. Regine was dead, so I couldn't go back to her, and I don't know about Denise, but I hadn't had any contact with her afterwards. So I went to other teachers. I went to Rary Grist, who was very helpful. didn't really get to the real issue. But your vocal qualities also were very different. Oh, she yeah. She was really, yeah. I mean, she was... That doesn't mean anything. You no, of course not. Kind of of course not. And she's a glorious she's singer. She's uh, Michelle Kreider's teacher. And she taught tenors as well. But in any case, I went to Brigitte Eisenfeld, who helped also in some ways. I was told to go to a very famous teacher here in Berlin, Frau Hartmann, who used to come to my performances. And she told me, you are singing beautifully, but you need to let your voice fill out. Mm -hmm. and, but she had all of the Wagnerian singers, Deborah Pulaski, Robert Gamble, Peter mm -hmm. Seifert, and all these people were going mm -hmm. there. to get too heavy so I never went to her I started looking online and at first I thought maybe I have acid reflux maybe that's what I'm feeling this 
But I looked at it and I said, no, these are not really the symptoms. David Jones had written an article. If you Google anything basically about singing, one of his articles is going to come up. He wrote an article about acid reflux, and I said, those are not my symptoms. And then I saw on a list of all his articles was one about the female passaggio and the problems that occur. As, mm-hmm. as a singer is maturing. Which and was sort of your my, situation. Late 30s yes. at that point. I read the article, and I'll never forget, he always puts exercises that you can try. So I tried these exercises, and I didn't feel that shift change. jump in at the Philharmonic and sing Bacchianas Brasileiras. And I, if I hadn't been doing those exercises, I would have never said, okay, because it's just floaty right in that oh, yeah. And because I had been doing those exercises, it felt like a piece of cake, but it was rounder. It was a little darker. It was centered deeper. And incredibly appropriate to that piece, in fact, to Absolutely. have that quality, right? Yeah. Absolutely. When I did that performance and it went so well, I said, I got to meet this man. I need yes. to be in his yes. presence. I was doing, I'll never forget, I was doing um, Agrippina. I was singing the... Another uh, handle. Yeah. yeah, another handle. What's the role? Popea? Popea. And I had done that in the Handel Festival in Halle. And I had two weeks off before my next production in Graz, the same opera. And I went to uh, New York. I contacted him and he says, oh, I can see you, I have, I have time. I went to New York and we just worked exercises every day for the laryngeal tilt, for feeling more pharyngeal vowels rather than mouth vowels. And then what he called putting the roof on the house mm-hmm. at the end. That role that I had just done, which I had had a big success with and it felt fine, it was like a new piece. <laughs> That's when I knew I had found the right instruction and yes. I found the right combination of exercises that helped me. Because of that, I was able to do the Schlauerfuchs line in Dallas. Oh, will you please tell that wonderful story about Cunning Little Vixen when you did it? Is 
is Janacek's cunning little vixen. Yes. And in German, it's called Das schlaue Füchslein. Yes, cunning little vixen in Czech. We were doing it at Dallas Opera in Czech. Fred and I, every summer, would go to Slovakia to a spa there. We'd spend two weeks there. So I took my little recorder, and there was a woman in the hotel reception who would stay after work every night, 10 o'clock, I'd come down to her and she would speak the entire role on that recorder. And I would repeat it. And then she'd give me a little bit of grammar, just a little bit of stuff, just a so little I nuances know and what, things, yeah. And that's how I learned the Czech for Janicek's Shlala Frickslein. I get to Dallas and I'm singing and a lady comes backstage afterwards and just starts speaking to me in Czech. <laughs> and I said, Hell oh. you say? <laughs> I said, uh, say what? I said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand you. She says, no, your Czech was perfect. You have to be a Czech speaker. the story of how I learned the Czech with this lady in the Slovakian province in some little hotel. Isn't that amazing? Is that the story you remember? That's the one I wanted to hear. Yeah. I just, I find that so touching. an indicator of what a hard worker you are well, and that, that sense of preparedness be. well thank you we of course I agree now we can take our old curmudgeon vantage point well eh, these youngsters they just want it you know <laughs> they want it all on a silver platter blah 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 but look, speaking of the youngsters out there these days, I would love you to speak of your current all-important role as a teacher and mentor yes. to young singers. I started teaching at my home privately, and then a couple of years later, I started teaching at the Hochschule in Rostock, and then a year after that at the Hochschule in Berlin. So now I think some of my most important work, I think it is the most important work that I do, is working with young singers, preparing them for the ins and outs of this illustrious but very difficult profession. It's difficult on so many levels. It's difficult dealing with uh, your voice and finding your voice and being able to call upon it when you need it, technically and musically, and also interpretively. It's it's difficult dealing with criticism and dealing with rejection. I have to say I had a smooth ride and I'm very grateful for that. But I have many friends who did not have as smooth a ride. And they, Moi, yeah. for one, yes, and indeed. You, and, but you made it anyway. And you made well, it on a through, certain level, sure. through yeah. hard work, through your perseverance, through your mental toughness as well, and also through knowing what you wanted to do. And a lot of young people don't have that... Mm, that muscle. That muscle. Yeah. That, and that muscle has and to that be fortitude. exercised. It has to right? be exercised. Yeah. So the work that I'm doing now has to do with not only teaching vocally, technically, and so forth, but and musically, but also mentally, mental training and developing the success skills that are important for, in my opinion, having a healthy career, having a healthy dose of confidence and wherewithal, and also getting used to saying, okay, if this doesn't work, 
doesn't matter. Life is going to go on. Yes. Because Krista Ludwig said it perfectly. A career is like a table. You need four legs for it to stand on. First is talent. The second is technique, knowing what you're doing. The third is your own musical personality and what you have to say. And the fourth is luck. And you need all four of them. You can't have one and not the other, or else something is going to be out of balance. Yeah. Three of those things we can control. Yes. The luck is the only thing we can't control. And you can never predict which one is going to really make it, which one is right. going to have the luck. There have been some of my best students who I thought, oh, she's got everything or he's got it all. They've had to struggle. And yes. some of my students who struggled at the beginning and seemed, you know, it's going to take a while for the confidence or for whatever. Once they started, it just kind of took off. Yeah. So there's no real formula. That's what I'm trying to say. The only thing you can do is work on the three things that yes. you can control and put one foot in front of the other and go for it. And maybe the luck factor will kick in. And yes. It does wonderful. actually doing something now. Tell us about your academy. So I started an academy. It started off just with what I call the vocal collective. I like to collaborate with people. We've collaborated yes, together. Yes, we have indeed. And I've brought in like a dancer, a choreography in some of my workshops. So this is an important thing that, that we should say yes. uh, also by way of introduction. You have begun doing these performance mastery workshops uh, yes. a number of years ago, right? And this was sort of an offshoot of the book that you wrote. That's right. right? About Nailing It's called audition. Nailing Your Next Audition, exactly. which also with Fred's help was translated into German. I had a German student who helped me to translate. Ah, so, okay. Yeah. So, Neil, oh, what's it called in German? I can't, I can't remember. Der Volkreich Vorzingen. I wrote it because so many of my German students and students from other countries outside of America, American students are some of the best prepared that I've ever come across. They had never heard about how to build your self-confidence, about taking risks, about going deeper into the character, what's going on with the story. They had not had that. I thought, this is ridiculous. These kids are graduating and they don't even know the basics of how to prepare for an audition. And I'm not talking about just how to write a, the right cover letter and have the right photos and choose the right repertoire. I'm talking about how to prepare the repertoire that you've chosen and how to know when you're ready for a particular repertoire. Yes. So I wrote the book with that in mind and then came the performance mastery workshops because I realized they needed time and space to practice these things yes. and to learn them. And there was no time in the lesson to do all of that. Right. You, you, you can't do So that. these are like weekend workshops that They're you began to do. They're weekend workshops and I do them all over. I've done them in London, in Iceland, in Paris, in Utrecht, in Essen, in Lati Lehmann Academy. That's yes, of course. Places that I've, yes. I've done them in the States, and they seem to be, in many cases, life-changing. Yes. So many wonderful aha moments. What we don't realize is that today, and it's always been this way, but there are so many distractions. Social media, the so-called circuit, you gotta do the young artist programs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't realize how insecure a singer 
an artist really can be. And when you don't, and you need that vulnerability to be a great singer, absolutely. right? But you gotta, you gotta figure out how to balance that with the toughness with that it grit. takes. It's a resilience and an yes. ability to look at things another way, to look at rejection another way, to look at it's more of a way of explaining things that happen to you in a way that's going to empower you rather than bring you down. Yes. And that's basically the key to everything. And so I've had these wonderful opportunities to work with singers who across the board, they're working with their own teachers. They have their own voice yes, teachers. Yes. But I feel like I'm impacting on such a much larger level because it's just not my little studio, which is also very important to me. But yes. It's something that seems to spread out and affect a larger group yes. of young singers. It's sending out tributaries out yeah. into the world, right? I, think, I really think that's my real calling. Yes. Yeah. So it's yes. been a, a joy and a privilege. And a direct offshoot, really, of everything that yes. you've been doing up to this point, exactly. right? Exactly. And that you are able to bring the wisdom and the knowledge and your, in fact, your artistry as a singer mm -hmm. to all of this. What's the actual name of the academy? It's the Leistung und Performance Vocal Academy Berlin. Very yeah, perfectly Dinglish, yes. right? <laughs> it has to be because yeah. that's what they're going to get. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. But what I've tried to do is plan more about this vocal collective. And what we're doing now, what I'm doing, is we've got several tiers. So there's the private lessons, and then there are the workshops, and then there are teacher training sessions where I teach young yes, teachers. Yes, I've taken some yeah. of those with you, and they're um, wonderful. Yes, yeah. giving some ideas about building a studio and building a teaching method and so forth. And the fourth now is my next project that has just started. It was very successful. It's called the Master's Series. And here I like to bring in vocal masters, either voice teachers or singers themselves, and they give master classes, three-hour master classes. We've had two, with one with David Jones and one with Janice Baird. <laughs> really fantastic. I mean, those singers walked out, I should say they floated out of the room, just having improved their performances so much within that half an hour that they had personally yes, with the teacher. Yes. I'm going to continue that in the fall. The next thing that I want to add is an emerging artist's recital, which I would like to name after Camilla Williams, the Camilla oh, Williams yes. debut recital or something like that. I yes. haven't thought past it enough. You can talk about me just as much as you please. I'm gonna talk about you when I get on my knees, Mount Zion, on my journey now, Mount Zion, my journey now, Mount Zion. Well, I wouldn't take nothing, Mount Zion, for my journey. where I find venues for special talents to who I think are ready to show the world. You are ready, got. my dear. You, <laughs> my dear, you are ready. <laughs> <laughs> So that is the third time you've heard that particular snippet of music on this episode. I should explain what it is. 
It is an excerpt from the Marshland's monologue toward the end of Act One of Richard Strauss's Der Hosenkavalier. The Marshallin is musing on growing older, and she asks a lot of questions. In the end, she determines that life is just one big mystery, and all that one can do in response is do one's best to survive it. But it's in how one goes about doing that that the entire difference lies. The first time we heard it, it was a live recording with Regine Crespin. The second time, in reference to Christa Ludwig's remarks on the four-legged table of the career, it was Christa Ludwig in her first assumption of the role of the marshal in, in 1968 in Vienna. This last time, I took the 1962 French radio performance of Crespin on the words und in dem wie and what's the word, spliced them into Christa Ludwig's response. Da liegt der ganze Unterschied. I think that's the perfect way to sign yes. off on this interview, yes. Janet Williams. It has been just a joy for me. Oh, for we me don't too. get to spend nearly enough time together, so this was a perfect was excuse perfect. to create some quality time for the two of us. And, and I'm sure that there will be a lot for my listeners to ponder on and revisit. And yes. it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Janet. Thank you for having me. As a final sign-off to my beloved Janet Williams, I offer you Ihr habt nun Traurigkeit with Daniel Berenboim conducting the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Chorus.
That was Janet Williams singing Ihr habt nun Traurigkeit from the Brahms Deutsches Requiem. Daniel Berenboim conducted the Chicago Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. Those words, Ich will euch wiedersehen, I will see you again, are the perfect way to see you off until next week. Thanks, as always, to Alan Segal for his beautiful underscoring, to Steve Robinson for his assistance in the production of this podcast, and to you, my listeners, who provide me with so much joy. Thank you, and especially thank you for those who have written me this past week such beautiful letters. It really makes a huge difference. Thank you for your support. Until next time, my friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Kuntlach. <laughs>